You're listening to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast. For more information, check out our website at www.shorelinecc.com. Hey, how many want to be free? You like free? Yeah! Man, I wish I could run on a horse all painted up in blue and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But freedom is something that we value as a culture, isn't it? America was built on freedom, and even as a culture, we advocate for the freedom of others. But in spite of all the work that we do, and in spite of the attention and the effort that goes into it, have you ever found that freedom is often difficult to attain? That freedom is very difficult. We want to live free. We want our children to grow up and to have the freedom to pursue the passions that God has placed in their life. But freedom can be difficult. So today, we're going to be kicking off this eight-week series. We're, we're going to dive into the Word of God because the Word of God tells us everything that we need. Amen? It's the Word of God that leads us, that guides us, that directs us, but also empowers us because it's God's Word. So to kick us off today, I invite you to open your Bible or your phone or whatever you read the Bible on and turn to Galatians chapter 1. Are you there? Galatians chapter 1. And we're going to be reading today from the ESV, the English Standard Version. And to do that and to help me kind of preach this today, I've invited a good friend of mine, Bob Blair. Would you come on up? Let's hear for Bob this morning. And yeah, Bob, man, you got a great crew up here. They, they love you. Yeah. Yeah. And, Bo- <laughs> and Bob is going to lead us in reading t- together from the Word of God. You can read it there, but it's a little bigger if you look up. Not, I'm not saying you need it bigger. I'm just saying it is a little bigger up there. So <laughs> lead us, Bob. Paul, an apostle, not, not from men, men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God, God the, the Father, Father who, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For I am now seeking the approval of man or of God. Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would would not not be a servant servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently 
and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had sent me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia. Then, after three years, I went to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Because of me. Amen. Amen. Let's hear it for Bob. Thank you, Bob. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. <laughs> yeah. It is... Uh, it is so good to hear the Word of God. When you look at the book of Galatians, you see that it is the book that Paul wrote to a church that he planted. There's a lot in here, but Paul is now, he's writing this letter, and he's writing it to a group of people that he dearly loves. He's writing to a group of people that he actually planted the gospel in, and when you look at how this book is written, you immediately see the intensity of what the apostle Paul is getting to. And essentially, in this book, Paul is asking the question, what happened? Everyone say, what happened? What happened? He's saying, you were free. But now he's hearing these reports of how bondage is now coming back to this church here in Galatia, and he's saying, what is happening? And I think for all of us today, we really need to pay attention to this. Because have you ever experienced freedom only to have it taken from you? Or have you ever experienced freedom only to walk back into those steps that you used to walk in, and now all of a sudden you find those same chains of bondage being brought on you? Have you ever experienced that, or am I the only one this morning? Have you ever done something, and Paul said this before, to where the things I know I should do, I don't often do. Why? Because freedom, if we try to do it in our own way, with our own strength, we will fail. We'll go right back to those same deep ruts. And I believe the Lord, in this new season that we're walking in, he is calling us to step out into the freedom that he affords, the freedom that he has given us. So let's look together to Christ. And in this season, my prayer is that all of us, we would come to the Lord with hands open and say, Lord, what would you have me do? Amen? And if that's you today, I'd like to lead you in this Quaker prayer that I lead you in from time to time, but especially in this series on freedom. The Quakers had this prayer that they would do to where they would hold their hands symbolically with the palms down. Would you just join me in doing that? And I know many of you have done this before, but this symbolizes that we're letting go. And a big part of freedom is letting go of all the sin and the weight and the things that entangle us. And just ask the Lord, even this moment, Lord, show me the things that I need to let go of. Show me, Lord, the things that I try to hold on to, the things that I try to keep that you're saying, 
Dwayne let go. Let go. And then we turn our palms, our empty palms now upward to God, signifying that we're ready to receive, and I encourage you to do that. Just turn your palms and just pray to the Lord. Lord, I'm ready to receive. Pray that. Lord, I'm ready to receive. Lord, I'm ready to receive. Lord, we receive now from your word. You're calling us into freedom. Allow us to stand firm in you. And everyone said together, amen, amen. So when we look at this book in Galatians, the first thing that we see, the first thing that I see as I pour, as I pour over it is Paul's passion for freedom. See, Paul is passionate about freedom. And when you look at this letter to the Galatians, you immediately see that it is different from all the other letters. See, when you look at the other letters that Paul has written, like Ephesians and Philippians, often in those letters, Paul takes a lot of time saying things like, I thank my God for you, or I do not cease to give thanks for you, or I have heard of your great faith. And in the book of Ephesians, the whole first chapter is Paul saying, I thank God for you. God is doing great things in your midst. It is exciting. But when we look at this book of Galatians, it's different. His introduction is very short and very brief. Have you ever done that? You've walked into someone's office or you've walked to a friend, and instead of a lot of chit-chat, they go, look, i got to talk to you about something. What normally follows that? <laughs> something pretty serious, right? Hey, look, I've got to talk to you about this. Yeah, it's all good. Good to see you again. I thank God for you. But listen, something's going on. And this is what Paul is doing here in the book of Galatians because their freedom is being threatened. And in this, Paul begins this whole chapter by talking about his authority, which goes back to his identity. I believe Paul is showing us something here, that our freedom in Christ, our freedom is found in our identity, and our identity is in who? God. God made us. We are all made in the image of God. It's the Imago Dei, and I've said this many times, and I love saying it. If you want to see a masterpiece, look around the room. Look at the person next to you. If you're riding a bus, look at the person next to you on the bus. If you're walking the street and you see a homeless person, look at them, because that is a masterpiece that God has made. We are all made in this image, no matter who we are. From the street to the CEO, we are all made in this image. And and right here, Paul is saying that our identity is found in God. And so Paul begins this letter, not with all of this, I give thanks to God for you, but by going to his, his authority and saying, I am an apostle. I am called by God. Paul is saying that, you know what? God called me. God gave me the credentials. And I am an apostle of Christ. Now, why is this important? Because when God gives us credentials, when God calls us, when God speaks something over us, it is something that no one else can speak over us, and it's also something that no one can take away. Think about it. When God calls you, he calls you something that no one else can call you. And when he calls you that, no one can take that away. Is that powerful to you this morning? This is God. This is what he calls us. The credentials that he, that he gives, only he can give. And for Paul, Paul was called to be an apostle of Christ. And but the reason why he's so passionate about this, he's not just trying to say a label and say, look what God called me, boys. I'm an apostle. He wasn't trying to elevate himself, but he was walking into a culture where his calling was being questioned by a group of people known as the Judaizers. Say Judaizer. Because it's the only time you're ever going to say it in your life, probably, Okay. See, the Judaizers, they were a group of Jewish Christians who were going out, and they were saying that this is good that you give your life to Christ, but you also need to be a Jew. 
They were adding to it. This is all good. And they were also questioning Paul's authority as an apostle. So Paul is good, but he's not really an apostle. Is he really an apostle? This is something they took serious. And they were sowing this deceit. So Paul is saying, look, I've been called by God, by Christ. And, even, and we know that when we look at this day, when Paul was saying that I am an apostle called by Christ, he was referencing something that was known in that day, which was the three criteria for being an apostle. See, the three criteria in that day for being an apostle was that, one, they had to be an eyewitness to the resurrected Christ. Had Paul seen Jesus resurrected? Yes. He saw him in Acts 9.3. Apostles also confirmed that their God-given office was, was actually there through performing signs and wonders. Did Paul do any signs and wonders? Yes. Jesus empowered Paul throughout his entire ministry, and we see this in Acts 14.3. And then the third criteria, to be an apostle, you had to be selected by Jesus. Did Jesus select Paul? Yes. One, two, three, boom, bada, bing. He was there. Paul is an apostle called by God. And why this is important to us is because we need to remember, I need to remember, you need to remember this. Our qualification comes from God. Your qualification comes from God. Put your hand over your heart and just say, my qualification comes from God. Go ahead and do that right now. Because God wants to remind you that your qualification, your calling, your empowerment comes from God. And it is going to be questioned. It's going to be questioned by people outside of the church. It's going to be questioned by people who are inside of the church. But you need to remember that your qualification comes from God. When we look at the Word of God and when we look at Scripture, we see a long line of men and women who have been overlooked by people around them, haven't we? And not only that, when you look at it, you'll often see men and women who were perceived by others to be weak. Someone that no one would select for their team. Have you ever been that person where they line up and they pick teams and you're the last person picked? Right? Do you know who God picks? He often picks that last person because it's in our weakness that he is made strong. When we realize that I've got nothing, I've only got God, then God's going, you have everything. You have everything. And this is what Paul is is saying here. Your qualification, it comes from God. But we also need to recognize that when God calls us, there's a process in this. See, Paul didn't go from the Damascus road to writing the book of Galatians, did he? There was a time period in there. There was a time period in there that could be a sermon all by itself. But Paul went through a season of questioning, of doubt, of being hurt, of healing, of not being trusted by others. See, Paul was a prosecutor of the church. And now he's like, I've given my life to Christ. You're all safe. You're all good. Is there a process with that? There's a process with that. And that's the same process that God has in us. Because see, God doesn't call people who are ready. God calls people who are willing to take up their cross and follow him. When God called me, I was not ready. Ask anybody around at the time. They're going, 
Dwayne was, he's not ready. He's not ready for that. And there are even things that I pushed to the side and that I even ran from and said, that's not for me. But God brought me through a process of dependence on him. And that's what I would want to remind you of today is that when God calls you, you may be questioning it. But God's not calling you because you're ready. He's calling you because you're willing. He's looking and saying, are you willing to do what I want you to do? Are you willing to depend on me? This was Paul. So Paul, he reminds them of their identity. But then in this very short opening, he then reminds them of the source. And he says, the source of your freedom is the gospel of Christ. The gospel means what? Good news. Your source is the gospel. And Paul goes through here and he reestablishes the gospel. He reestablishes that God made us and that this was the will of God. He says, this is the will of God. We were made by God to be with him forever but that we were sinners and that we separated ourselves from God through our sin. But then the good news is that God made a way for us through Jesus Christ to be reconciled to him if we will humble ourselves, confess our sin, and receive and now become a child of God. This is the gospel. It's very simple. It is very pure. You were made by God. You sinned and separated yourself from God. But God has made a way through Jesus Christ as you surrender and confess and now go and follow Christ and live for him. That's the gospel. That's it. I just told you everything. All those years of seminary training, right there. That's it. Now you can take that, and you can go explain that, and you can share that with people, because that's it. And that's what Paul is saying. But now Paul's coming to this next part, and he's saying, what happened? My paraphrase. He's saying, what happened? Here's what he says in verse 6. Paul says in verse 6, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Is that happening today? All the time. The gospel is simple. It is pure. It is there. But there are those that distort it. And Paul is coming in, and he's saying to the Galatians, look, I presented the gospel to you. It is simple. It is pure. A child can understand it. A child can explain it. And even here, we have story after story of children going to the schools and telling the gospel and leading their friends to Christ. A child can do it. Sometimes a child can do it better than we can because they keep it simple. Because, see, the gospel, it is built on grace and truth. Say grace and truth. Grace and truth. It is built on grace and truth. Truth is what? Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. He's the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's one way. There's a million ways to order your coffee, but there's one way to God. is through Jesus. Okay? There's one way. So it's built on the truth of Jesus But the second part of that is essential because it's also built on grace. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. You can't earn it. I don't deserve it. There's nothing. You can't. There's there's no way you can do it. I don't care how rich you are, how smart you are, how much more hair than me you have. There's no way. There's no way. You are not good enough. There's only one who's good, and that's God. 
And that's hard for us to come to the realization with. But the gospel is built on grace and truth. Ephesians 2 says this. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one can boast. Grace and truth. And Paul is astonished because they were deserting the gospel of Christ now for a new gospel. He's going, what are you doing? Why would you do this? See, in the early days of Christianity, most Christians were Jews. Jesus was a Jew. His disciples were Jew. And so now within the midst of this, there was this group known as the Judaizers that were also now trying to come in and convert them to be a Jew as well. See, the Judaizers, they were adding Jewish law to Christianity. One theologian says it this way. He says that in order to be a Christian, you first had to convert to become a Jew. The Judaizers saw their message as Jesus Christ plus Moses. Not just Moses and not just Jesus Christ, but both together. See, at the time of conversion, to Judaism, it was accomplished in three ways. So in order to be a Jew back in that day, you could convert and become a Jew, but there were three things that you had to do to accomplish this. Step one, if you were a male, you had to be circumcised. Step two, you had to have a ritual bath in water. And step three, you had to agree to take up on yourself the yoke of the law. Know what the yoke of the law is? 613 rules that you had to follow. It was the commands of the Mosaic Law. How many want to sign up for that? They were adding to it. They were essentially inviting them to exchange their yoke of freedom for the yoke of the law, the yoke of legalism. They were adding to the gospel. They were adding to the gospel. So Paul jumps in right here and he says, there is no other gospel. There is no other gospel. It is grace through faith, not works. What did Jesus do? Jesus came to fulfill the law. Now we approach through Christ. There is no other gospel. Because see, the issue that concerns Paul is not simply whether or not a person follows the Jewish way of life. His concern was that you must that you might wrongly think that salvation is attained by becoming a Jew. That was his concern. Yeah, Jesus is good, but you also need to become a Jew. This is what he was addressing. But we need to go back to the words of Jesus in Matthew 11 when Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, Jesus warned us about this. He warned us about this in Matthew 23 when he said to be careful of the scribes and the Pharisees because they want to tie up heavy burdens on you, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. See, Paul is addressing a key theological concept for us. There's a theological term that Paul is bringing out, and it's a term called justification. Say justification. Justification. Again, one of the few times you'll probably ever say that word. See, justification, Paul shows us in Romans 5. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, 
Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. See, that theological term, justification, what that means is it's the sovereign act of God whereby God declares a sinner righteous while they're still in a sinning state. Let me say that again. Justification is when God steps in, when we confess our sin to him, and he declares you righteous while you're still a sinner. He declares you are now righteous. Only God can do that. But some people have a hard time with that. I grew up in a setting that, it was, a, that was hard for people to handle. How many of you have ever experienced legalism? You know, my best friend one time growing up, he went forward and gave his life to Christ, and we were all amazed. <laughs> we're like, wow. Thank you, God. But then before he got up from the altar, this was during the 80s, and we all had beautiful hair. Okay? And he had amazing hair. Before he got up from the altar, someone leaned in his shoulder and said, now that you've given your life to Christ, you need to cut off all your hair. I know, Right? Imagine how we felt as his friends. Imagine how Michael would feel. (laughs) Michael's our worship pastor. Has beautiful hair. Think about that young man hearing about Jesus who loves him, redeems him, comes forward, gives his life to Christ, and now hears something like that. Is that God's law? No. He's going, every picture I've seen of Jesus, he has longer hair than I do. What does that mean? Justification means that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, and he declares us righteous in that moment. That is a work of God. And as we walk with Jesus, he cleans us up, don't we? I had a lot of friends back in the day, and even now I I tell people, I'll talk to people, and they're like, you know, let me take care of this stuff, then I'll come to church. Let me take care of this stuff, then I'll give my life to Christ. It doesn't work that way. Because I tell them, you know what? I can't clean up my stuff. I'm with Jesus. Jesus is cleaning up my stuff. I come to Jesus as a sinner and say, Jesus, please help me. Lord, I am weak, but you are strong. Jesus walks with us, and he cleans it up. And there are some things in my life that Jesus has just cleaned up immediately, and it's been gone. And there are some things that I'm still working on. There are some things that go all the way back to little Dwayne singing a song back in kindergarten in front of the whole class. That's that work of Christ walking in us. Am I still a Christian? Yes. Am I still saved? Yes. But I'm walking with him day by day by day. When I stumble, I say, Jesus, help me. Pull me out of this and help me. And he's quick to answer my call and to be there. But this is the work of God, and this was what they were falling into back then. And Paul is clear in this. He's saying that when you change the gospel, you are cursed. It comes with a curse. That's tough language, isn't it? Right? You change the gospel, he says... They are accursed, those who would change it. He says, if anyone, even an angel, says anything different, let them be cursed. If an angel comes down from the sky and says something different from the word of God, is it true? No. This is why you need to know the word of God. This is why you need to memorize it and just get it inside of you. We're not led by our feelings. 
We're not led by every person around us. We're led by the Holy Spirit of God who is in and regenerating us, transforming us, and letting this word come alive in us step by step, moment by moment. And so Paul says, if anyone comes down, even an angel, let them be cursed. Why? Because when we change the gospel, when we change who God is, this is a form of idolatry. When we change who God is, this is a form of adultery because when we change it, that's not God. Does God change? No. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God does not change. God changes us. So when we change a view of God, we're no longer worshiping God. We're worshiping something else. And there are thousands of idols around the world, millions throughout the course of history. See, worshiping other idols, it comes with the greatest consequences. And this goes all the way back to Exodus 20 when it says, You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God. A jealous God. Now that word is not used very often in Scripture. But when you look at the meaning of that, that word jealous, it means that he has no rival. God has no rival, but it also means that God is a severe avenger of himself. It's pretty strong language, isn't it? Are we friends of God? Yes. When you give your life to Christ, he now calls us friends. But God is a holy God to be revered to be respected, to stand before in awe. And the reason why this is so serious to God, because we were all made to worship, and when we are not worshiping God, when we're worshiping something else, Psalms tell us that we become whatever we worship, don't we? Whatever you worship, and everyone's worshiping something, whether they're aware of it or not, we become whatever we worship, And even oftentimes, I'll hear people say things like, I'm following Jesus my way. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever said that? I'm following Jesus my way. But see, if I say I'm following Jesus my way, I'm not following Jesus. Because if it's my way, who's leading? I am. And I am a terrible Savior. We don't follow Jesus our way. We follow Jesus his way. The way that Jesus has called us. Because following Jesus is looking at him and we're following him. We're in communion with him. Wherever he goes, we go. Whether we understand it or not. We're talking with him. We're being discipled. We're disciples of Christ. And our biggest challenge that we have today is having that right view of God. And one of the biggest struggles Paul here points out, he says, I am not seeking the approval of man. I'm not seeking the approval of man because seeking approval from others is a cursed path. And Paul is clear about this in verse 10. See, the only people that will fully approve of you following Christ are those who are already following Christ. True or false? They may agree with some things, but at some point along the way, there's going to be a dividing road. The only ones who fully approve of me following Christ are those who are following Christ because it can be a hard road at times. It can be a difficult road at times. 
But this is why it is so important for us to gather together today. This is why it's so important to gather wherever you are because we need to be encouraged by each other. We need to be helped with one another. We need to realize that when we are on a wrong path, that there's someone there with loving grace and truth to pull us back on the right path because they care. Have you ever experienced that where you've been on a wrong path and someone has come in and said, Dwayne, I need to talk to you about something. I, I think you're getting off a little bit here. And you've realized it went, man, yeah, thank you. Or maybe you've had to do that to somebody else. They're walking down the path, and you're like, tell me about this. And you lovingly pull them back. This is why it's so important. Because our freedom will always be assaulted. And that's what's happening here. And Paul is coming in, and he's saying, what are you doing? There is no other gospel. It is Jesus Christ alone. It is him that we serve. And then Paul wraps it up at the end by sharing his story. Paul shares freedom story in this. There's power in our testimony. There's power in our walk with God. And he reminds them of his story. Who was Paul? Paul was a persecutor of the church. Paul was somebody, if you were a follower of Christ and you saw him there, you start going the other way. You weren't walking up to Paul with arms of love saying, let's follow Jesus together, brother. Paul was a known persecutor of the church that had a letter that gave him the right to go out and to persecute those. It also says that he was violent and destructive. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul. In Acts 26, Paul speaking, he says, I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. This is Paul. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. This is who Paul was. This is real. This is not just a little story. This is not fiction. And Paul says, I was committed. He, says, I was, he said, zealous was I for the traditions of my father's. And he was educated. He was using his education for this. He says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, many of my own people. And Paul even sought to please the will of the Jewish council. This is who Paul was. And then Damascus happens, and he sees Jesus, and now Paul is now called an apostle of Christ. He's justified by Christ, and now he's set apart to preach the gospel. See, God was reaching for Paul even when he was persecuting the church, even when he was advancing the ball against the body of Christ. What was God doing? He was reaching to him. He was reaching out to them. And now because of Christ, now he's taken all those things that God gave him. See, God gave him zeal, but now Paul is using his zeal for God. All the education that he had before that was being used to destroy the church, now the education is being used for God. All of his relationships, now they're being used for God. His commitment was now being used for God. See, all these things were given to him. And how many times have I seen people, I've seen friends, who before they had all the success going on in the world, or they had all these things going on for them. When they gave their life to Christ, did God take all those things away? No, now God began to pull this out. Here's the, here's the reason I gave this to you. Here's the purpose I put in this for you. For my purpose, for my reason. See, Paul was the worst candidate for salvation. 
If there was ever a guy that you looked at and said, when hell freezes over, when pigs fly, that guy's going to give his life to Christ. It was Paul. Do you have people like that in your life? Do you have people in your life like that? That your heart breaks for them? And you say, God, help my unbelief, but I don't see how that person's ever going to come to you. But the worst candidate is now an apostle of Christ, being used by him. See, this is the power of a story. This is the power of our testimony. Our testimony says, who I was, I am not. Now look who I am. It compares who you were with now who you are today through Christ. And this is a question I believe that we need to ask ourselves today. We need to ask ourselves, how is my life different as a follower of Christ, as a Christian? How is my life different from those who don't know Christ? Ask yourself that question. How is my life different? See, as it relates to Paul, the great theologian F.F. Bruce said it this way. He said, no single event apart from the Christ event itself has proved so determinate for the course of Christian history as the conversion and the commissioning of Paul. No single event. When you look at history, you see that no single event apart from the Christ event will prove to be so determinate for its course than the conversion and the commissioning of Paul by Jesus Christ. And here's what I would say to you today. Apart from the Christ event, there is no single life, no single event in the life of your family, of your co-workers, of those around you, than your conversion and commissioning by Jesus. Think about that. That's for you. That's your call today. There is no single event in the course of your life, your family's life, your work's life, than your conversion to Jesus Christ. Why? Because everybody wants freedom. And when you sell your life out to Christ, you have it. You have it. We need to look into the reality of this that in my life, and personalize this, in my life, if my life is no different with Christ, then I don't really have Christ. If there is no difference in your life, when you give your life to Christ, if that doesn't make a difference in you, you really don't have him. And that may seem a little hard, may seem a little judgmental, But when we look to the Word of God, we see this happen time and time again, before Christ, after Christ. See, Jesus didn't die and give his life just so that you would be a good person. I know a lot of people that that many of us would call good who don't know Christ. I have friends who are atheists that are wonderful, loving people. It's not just about being wonderful and loving and good and I'm willing to give a dollar to somebody on the sidewalk who's a homeless person. Those are all good things. But how is the mark of Christ alive in you? Where's that boldness? Where's that Holy Spirit alive in you that is transforming you, not just to make you a better person, but to make you alive in Christ and to make you his agent of change at work, in your home, wherever you go. It's the power of God. It is not your goodness. There's a lot of good people out there. 
How is Jesus making you different? Where in your life are you walking and you're saying, apart from God, there's no way that I can do this. Apart from God changing me, there's no way that this can happen. What's bringing you to your knees and saying, God, fill me, flow in me? I'm not willing to look at my coworker every day who is lost, who is filled with bondage. Speak to me, God. Show me what you would have me do. I believe God is calling us to examine our lives and saying, God, I'm not just going to ignore it. I'm not going to be the status quo. For some of you, you may have been at your job for 10, 20, 30 years, and maybe you've given up hope on the person next to you. Maybe you've tried preaching to them. Maybe you've tried all these things. And God's saying, that's not what I'm calling you to do. I'm calling you to be present, transformed, alive in Christ, allowing my word to flow from you. To where you're not trying to do an agenda with somebody, but that you're trying to love them only as I empower you and enable you. Do you hear the difference this morning? That takes a life transformed moment by moment, day by day, not a God on the side, not just a book that we have on our shelf, but Jesus alive in me saying, Jesus, show me today. Show me that road. Show me that path. To where you're being challenged. To where you're experiencing fear of going, I hope this is God. I hope this is God. Where you're willing to be a fool for him. Not just a fool, there's a lot of fools of which I can be the chief, but it's a fool for him, listening, being responsive to him. I mean, can we all stand together today? Lord, we want you to use us today. We want to walk in the freedom that you have given us, the freedom that is afforded only through you, O oh God. Lord, I'm not content with the status quo anymore. We don't want to just run through the motions. I don't want to just run through the motions. But I want to run the course that you set in front of me. I want my eyes to see the course that you set in front of me. I want a life that requires faith to live out and to see what can God do as I surrender to him. What can God do if I were to walk into my workplace and say, God, speak, your servant is listening. Whatever you say, I'm going to do it. Draw us to you, O oh God. Draw us to you. Prepare us, O oh God. In your name. There's, lots, there's several questions in your listening guide today that I want you to walk through, but I'd like for you to take some time today. If you want that path that God's calling you to, I want you to step out. I want you to boldly step out and say, God, here am I. Speak to me. Ask the Lord, God, what needs to be removed from my life today? What needs to be removed from my life? What are the things that I'm holding on to that you're saying, let go of it? You are not going to make a change in your workplace as long as you hold on to that. You're not going to make a change in your family as long as you hold on to that. Your life will not be changed as long as you hold on to this. And for some of you, you may need just to come to an old-fashioned altar and just kneel and pray and say, God, speak, your servant's listening. I'm not content anymore. I'm not content to see a world that is in bonds and shackles. Maybe you need to go to the prayer walls over here and you need to write it out. Say, God, show me what to write. 
Maybe you need to come forward to these communion stations that symbolize the freedom. Say, God, I need freedom today. Forgive me of my sin. There's sin in my life that I'm holding on to now by your blood and by your body that was broken for me. Forgive me and cleanse me. And you need that moment of confession with the Lord. But step out. Step out. Come forward. Pray. There's prayer workers on the side. There's seldom any lines for our prayer workers, and we're a people of prayer. Find somebody. Turn to somebody. But let's walk in the freedom. Are you with me this morning, church? Are you ready to walk in the freedom of God and say, God, what would you do if I walked in your freedom? What would you do if I totally surrendered? Let's let it begin here. Step out. Respond to the word of the Lord today.